You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Today's sermon text comes from Acts chapter 21, verse 17 through 30. When we reached Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. The following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God and said, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to, their, to our customs. So what is to be done? They will certainly hear what you, that you've come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have made a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay for them to get their heads shaved. Then everyone who will know... Then everyone will know that what they were told about you amounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, we have written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. So the next day, Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offerings would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple." The whole city was stirred up, and the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. This is God's word. Good morning, church family. My, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, it's always a, a joy to, to be able to come together and, and open up the, the scriptures. Uh, like Micah said, we're, we're continuing in, in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 21 this week. Um, if you have a Bible, uh, I'd love for you to open it up and, and follow along. If you don't have one, we have um, some under the, the seats in front of you. Uh, if you pull that Bible out, it's on page 633 is, is where we are this week. Um, so in where we are in Acts, you know, this is the end of, of Paul's third missionary journey. So he has been um, traveling along last week. He was in a town called Miletus, which is uh, near Ephesus, and he had been to Ephesus before and uh, came back and, and was encouraging the, the elders from, from the church there. They came to, to see him in Miletus, and he encouraged them. He told them to um, just to, to prioritize the, the gospel and encourage them in the midst of, of suffering. And, um, and in verse 22 there, he says that, it, back in, in chapter 20, he says that he's compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he's, um, he doesn't know what he'll encounter there, except that in every town— Verse 23, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. So um, there's a lot of similarity between Paul here in Acts and, and Jesus in the book of Luke, that, um, the other book that, that Luke wrote in the New Testament. Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem knowing that, that suffering is coming, knowing that he is going to be crucified. Paul turns his face towards Jerusalem. He comes and he knows that, that suffering is coming. In this passage, it's, it's a little... Um, 
little discombobulated, I guess. You got a, a few different, uh, a few different themes, a few different little narratives kind of tied together. Um, and as we see this passage, I want to kind of draw out one, one overarching theme of this is how we're supposed to live as Christians in the kingdom. The kingdom, it changes the way we live. We see Paul as an example of that. We see the, the Jews here as a, a negative example, I guess, of, um, of that. So, you know, as, as Paul goes, he, um, you know, he has the opportunity to, to pursue safety instead of suffering, you know, to, to pull away from, from God's will. But he doesn't do that. He chooses providence. He chooses following God's will over safety. He has the opportunity to choose his own preferences and opinions over the opportunity to witness. And he doesn't do that. He chooses witness over preference. And the Jews have the opportunity to, to pursue truth, to, to know what is right and, and follow that instead of following their passions and their zeal. And they do, don't do that. So we, we want to value providence, following God's will over safety, over comfort. We want to value witness over our own preferences, and we want to value truth over our passions, over zeal. And so I want, to, I want the Lord to, to speak through me and, and show what's in his scriptures and, and proclaim that to you guys. So um, I want to ask for his help and pray. Father God, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to read the scriptures and, and um, hear from you. Pray that you would speak clearly through me, that you would um, just make your, your will known, make your way known to, to us, that we would... I'm just here from you today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this first section, verses 1 through 14, uh, we see the, that we need to value providence over safety, over our own comfort. We want to follow the will of the Spirit, follow the will of the Lord, even if it means suffering will come. In this section, we see multiple times where, where believers speak against Paul. They tell him not to go. But he he presses on in, in his resolve to follow the Lord. We see the value of, of partnership. We see these, these believers that, that know Paul, that love him, and, um, and encourage them. Ultimately, we see that Paul chooses to follow the will of the Lord over his own safety and comfort. So the first place they stop in is, is Tyre. Um, so verse 3, after we sighted Cyprus, we passed the south of it, we sailed to Syria, arrived at Tyre. Um, Verse 4, it says, we sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. This, this terminology, sought out, you know, that, that um, it kind of indicates that they didn't know these disciples before. So that's just a, a reminder for us of, of the beauty of, of kingdom community. You know, Paul and um, Luke and the others that are together, they come to this place, they don't know these disciples, but they're able to instantly connect around the gospel. The, the disciples here, it says that through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. You guys remember um, back in verse, back in chapter 20, I, I mentioned it a minute ago, Paul says that he's compelled by the Spirit. And so through the Spirit, they tell him not to go. He's compelled by the Spirit. Seems a little, um, a little bit like mixed signals. Like is the, is the Spirit telling both of them opposite things? Are they kind of interpreting, you know, the Spirit telling them that, that Paul's going to suffer, are they interpreting that as, as don't go? We don't exactly know. Um, so when we don't know exactly, we, we, uh, we fall back on what we do know, right? So 
when we have these opportunities where, where we don't exactly know how the Lord is speaking to us, how the Lord is, is calling us, we want to, to make sure that we're weighing it against what we know in Scripture. Throughout, throughout the Bible, we, we see so much of, of God's heart, and, and so we want to make sure that what we do as we follow God's will, we want to make sure that it lines up with Scripture. We also have the church. We have brothers and sisters that, that can encourage us and help us to, to understand God's will. I want you to, to not be like Paul in this. <laughs> He's an apostle, you're not. So if, if you have this, this thing in mind and, and all your brothers and sisters in Christ are telling you not to do that, don't do it, all right? We'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he wrote most of the New Testament. So, um, so follow God's will, wait against the scriptures, talk through it with, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and as you come to a conviction, press on humbly. Another thing that we see here in, in Tyre, we see that the, the families come and, and celebrate Paul or, or, or say farewell, right? Verse, verse five, when our time had, had come to an end, we left to continue our journey. While all of them with their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship and they returned home. I just wanna to point out the, the value of the families. I love that we have so many kids in this church and um, a lot of times we hear them stomping around upstairs as, we, as we're down here. Um, they, they come and they sing with us and um, they spill hot chocolate and, and spill cider and stuff. And it's just, it's fun. The, the families here in, in Tyre, they, they have the opportunity to take their, their children and, and say farewell to these missionaries as they're returning to Jerusalem. They're bringing their kids along. They're bringing their families along in, in this kingdom work. And so I want us to do that. I want us to, as as parents, I want us to help our, our kids see the beauty of, of the faith, see the beauty of, of the church, of the community. Remembering that, that God called us out of darkness and into light, not just so that we come in and do the soundboard or, or come and serve in childcare, but so that we come and, and have relationship with each other, come encourage, exhort one another. I want us our kids to, to grow up knowing the beauty of, of the gospel, the beauty of the faith. So they leave Tyre and, and they come to, to Caesarea and they see, we see the same kind of things. They, they find partnership there and, and, um, and there's prophecy against, <laughs> against Paul's, Paul's journey telling him that, that he's gonna suffer. All right, so they come, um, they come to the house of, of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. Um, I like to, to look at Twitter sometimes and um, it's funny when, when people, they talk about like different Twitters, like, you know, you, you have the same kind of people talking about the same kind of thing. Um, so one of the Twitters that I'm in is, is Braves Twitter. So Atlanta Braves baseball team. Um, I follow a lot of people that, that talk about the Braves because I'm a fan. Um, and one of the inside jokes in, in Braves Twitter is, is what they call, they, they say old friend alert. So if there's a guy who used to play for the Braves and he got traded, he's on a different team and he does something amazing, he gets some highlights, they'll say old friend alert and share that highlight. So we got an old friend alert here with, with Philip. He's an old friend. In Acts chapter six, one of the seven here refers to, in Acts chapter six, there was, there was this conflict between the Hebrew Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews, the, the Greek background ones, they, um, their widows weren't, weren't getting as much as they needed. They weren't getting taken care of as well. And so the apostles 
set aside seven men who were of good repute and, and, um, and worthy of, of this service. And Philip was one of those seven. We also saw Philip with, with the Ethiopian eunuch proclaiming him, to him the, the beauty of the gospel as, as he's reading Isaiah and, and he reads about a, a sheep going to slaughter and, and Philip is able to tell him, hey, that's, that's Jesus. Another thing we see about Philip is, is that he has four daughters that, that prophesy. Verse nine, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Um, you know, this isn't a, a big part of the narrative, but I, I do want to spend a couple minutes encouraging us. Jess and I were watching the, the show The Chosen this, this past week, a show about, about Jesus and, and his followers, and um, the Pharisees are, are trying, to, trying to catch Jesus in his, in his blasphemy, and they're, uh, they know this Ethiopian woman had, had seen one of Jesus' miracles, and she's been proclaiming that, sharing, sharing what Jesus did, and, and they're looking for her, to, to see if, if they can kind of trap Jesus. And, and one of them suggests that, and the other one is like, why are you looking for the woman? Her testimony is worthless. In that society, the women didn't have any value. They didn't have any voice. These virgin daughters, they didn't have a husband. They were, they were young, single women in Philip's household with no voice. But Luke specifically calls them out and said that they prophesied. They spoke on behalf of the Lord, bringing truth in ways that others didn't. I heard a quote from, uh, from Jen Wilkin who wrote the Bible study that some of the ladies are going through. She said that, that one of the biggest challenges for developing female leaders in the church is that we can have a tendency to view the gifts of women as nice but not necessary. I don't want that to be true for us. I want us to see that we need the women of this church to, to use their gifts. So if you're a woman here and, and you feel like you can't use your gifts here, please, please tell us. We want to make a way for you, for you to do that. We know that our church will not thrive if half our team is on the bench, so to speak. So I want to encourage you to use your gifts, speak up, teach, lead, prophesy. So another old friend here, Agabus, he's a prophet, um, came down from Judea, and he does this, this visual prophecy, right? He, he takes Paul's belt and he ties himself up with it and he said, the owner of this belt is gonna have, to have this happen to him. He tied his own feet and hands. This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Luke said that when we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. This is, you know, this is strong language here. Paul replied, what, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? That word there, that, that breaking my heart language, that's, um, that's kind of like a, a beating, like it, you can imagine putting, putting a rug on the clothesline and kind of beating the dust out of it. Like that's, you know, the, it's kind of used for, for laundry, sort of that, that strong, like hitting it hard. You're breaking my heart, you're hitting that so hard. So Paul feels this, this anguish as, as he goes back to, to Jerusalem. And, but he says that he's, not, he's ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so they, they put it in God's hands. They said, you know, um, since Paul wouldn't be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. Similar to, to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. 
So Paul is compelled to, to go to Jerusalem. He's compelled to follow the will of the Spirit, even though he knows that trouble is facing him there. He reminds us here to, to follow the will of the Lord, no matter what, even if it means we're losing safety, we're losing comfort. This next section, witness over preference. Verses 15 through 26. As Paul comes into Jerusalem, he seeks to, to do God's will there. He has opportunity to, to lay down his own preferences and opinions to be able to build a relationship with the Jews here. So verse 17, they come to Jerusalem and the brothers and sisters welcome them warmly. Paul has an opportunity to, to share about what God has been doing. After greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God. So, so there are some here in Jerusalem that, that are big fans of, of Paul and the work that he's been doing among the Gentiles. The way that, that God has been working. So they welcome him warmly, but they also welcome him kind of warningly. Like they, they give him the warning. They say that um, there are Jews here, thousands who have believed, but they have been informed about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. So this accusation is that Paul is, is teaching against the law. You guys rem might remember, you know, a couple years ago is... Um, there are a lot of people talking about racial issues in, in the United States. There was a lot of um, fear about critical race theory, CRT. So anybody that would be talking about race, a lot of times they would be accused of, of teaching CRT. I remember seeing people that um, you know, said, you know, I'm, I'm reading my first book about critical race theory so I can figure out what everybody's accusing me of teaching. There's this, this kind of sense here with, with Paul as, as he is mischaracterized. You know, they say that he's teaching the Jews in, in all these places to abandon the law. You guys have been kind of following along with us in Acts. You know, there's been a lot of tension between Jews and Gentiles. And a lot of times, Paul has, has spoken against the Jews because he's speaking on behalf of the Gentiles. He's telling them that, that they don't have to follow the law to be saved. Right? You don't have to be Jewish to be saved. It's not about how, how well you follow the law. But there's this, this fundamentalist, pharisaical bent where, where if you're not as passionate for the law as I am, then you must hate it. You must be against it. Paul knows that the, the law is good. God gave the law to his people to reveal something about himself. It shows us a piece of God. But Jesus came to fulfill it. We don't have to fulfill it ourselves. It's not required for for us to, to follow the law perfectly to be saved. So as, as there are conflicts between, between that, where whether you have to follow the law to be saved, Paul's always going to speak against that. But they, um, these Jewish brothers here, they, they provide Paul an, an opportunity to, to show that he still values the law. They said that we have these four, four men here who have made a vow Take these men, purify yourself along with them, pay, with, pay for them to get their heads shaved. Everyone will know what they were told about you amounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. So there's this, this gap between Paul and the people they know that, or they, they've heard about him, that he's teaching against the law. We know that that's not true, that, 
that that gap shouldn't be there. But Paul does what he can to, to bridge that gap anyway, even though it's kind of unfair. Paul takes this opportunity to, to give up his, his preferences so that he can build bridges, build relationships, have the opportunity to witness. And so I want to encourage us to, to do the same kind of thing. As we have opportunities with, with our friends, our, our neighbors, our coworkers, have opportunities to build relationships with them, even if it means laying down our preferences. It could be something as simple as maybe your coworker likes to, to go hiking and, and you're more of an indoors person. You'd rather just sit around and read a book. You don't like the sun or the bugs. You can lay down those preferences and, and go on a hike with your coworker to be able to build a relationship. Missionaries are a great example of this. Just imagine if, if a missionary decides they're going to move across the world to a different country, but then they say, you know what? I'm only going to eat American food. I'm only going to speak English. That's crazy, right? You're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to have any, barely any opportunity to, to build relationships. No, they lay down their preferences. They say, you know what? I'm going to eat this food, even though it's weird, even though I don't like the way it looks. It's okay. They spent hours and hours and months and months and years and years learning the language to be able to proclaim the truth about God and those people's heart language. So we need to keep the kingdom in mind when we're passionate about loving our, our lost friends. We're so willing to lay, lay down our preferences. Sometimes this can get pretty tricky when it veers into biblical conviction instead of just preferences, just opinions. What about if you have a coworker who has a housewarming party moving in with somebody they're not married to, moving in with their boyfriend or, or girlfriend? Do you have that opportunity to take that opportunity to celebrate their, their sin, basically? There's some tricky questions, but we need to remember that it's not their morality that, that saves them. You know, if they, if they stop having sex with their girlfriend or boyfriend, that's not what saves them. Right? They need Jesus. And so if we have opportunities to, to build relationships, to keep strong relationships, it might be worth it. We need to remember um, the, uh, the applications I said a minute ago about, about following the, the will of the Lord, weighing it against the scriptures, talking through it with brothers and sisters in Christ. But knowing that, that we need to take these opportunities to, to share Jesus with, with our coworkers and neighbors. So Paul comes into the temple. Um, he's bald now. He's, he's shaved his head and these four guys with him. He has shown the value of the law, shown that he cares about it. And even that didn't work, so to speak. He comes in and there's this, this riot. These Jews stir up the crowd. And so we learn from, from the Jews here kind of the, the negative example of that we need to, instead of, instead of following our, our zeal, following the mob, we need to value truth. We need to value, value righteousness. So the Jews come and, and stir up the crowd. These are Jews from the, the province of Asia, verse 27. We know from our um, our time in Acts that, that Paul has a history with, with Jews from the province of Asia. And he's been on his missionary journeys around there and, and um, 
all the time, you know, all the different cities he would go to, he would start in the synagogue and, and um, proclaim the gospel there, and then he would kind of be pushed out, proclaimed to the Gentiles, and the Jews would, would sort of chase him around from town to town and, and start these, these riots and, and stir up these crowds. And so they do it here in Jerusalem too. Let's look at verse, verses 28 and 29. So they shout, fellow Israelites, help. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, this place. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul brought him into the temple. First thing I want to look at is, is how they say help. They say, fellow Israelites, help. They kind of place themselves as, as the victims here, that, that Paul is, is attacking them. Is, he's attacking their way of life. Paul has taken this vow. He's shown that he has this passion for the law. But that's not good enough. They're crying out for help. They're saying that his teaching is, is destroying their way of life. It's very similar to, to the accusations they brought against Stephen back in Acts chapter 6. They said that this man never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. They speak against the temple. They speak against their way of life. There's some speculation here on, on uh, some assumptions here. They, they suppose that Paul brought him into the temple. They see, because they had seen, um, they had seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, so they just assumed that they brought him into the temple. They didn't, like, look around, and they didn't see him there. They just assumed, and, and that was enough for them. So they are willing to, to let the truth slide. they they know that if they if they pause and take some time, they wouldn't see Trophimus there in the temple. Paul didn't defile the temple. Paul wasn't teaching against the ways of Moses. But they don't care. Things get out of hand. Paul's a, attempt to be able to impact the Jews, be able to, to share with them, it, it seems to have failed. He's beaten, he's taken into custody. Did he shave his head? Did he keep this vow for nothing? Maybe. But we know that he didn't come back to Jerusalem for nothing. In Acts chapter 9, when, um, when Paul's on the road to Damascus and Jesus comes to him, Jesus tells Ananias, he says, go to, go to Paul, go for this man as my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, to kings, and to Israelites. We've seen him take the name to, to Gentiles. He's gone on, on these missionary journeys and he's proclaimed the name to them. Next week, in, in um, chapter 22, he, he proclaims the, the name to, to Israelites, right? He starts off his speech in, in chapter 20, brothers and fathers, talking to his, his Israelite family. A little bit later in Acts chapter 26, Paul gets the opportunity to speak to the king, King Agrippa, bringing the message, bringing the name of Jesus. He has this opportunity to speak to the king that he wouldn't have if he wasn't taken into custody here. So even though it looks like looks like he fails, looks like that opportunity to to lay down his preferences for the sake of witness seems like that failed. But we know that the way of the kingdom is not like the way of the world. We see this picture of the upside down value system of the kingdom. So as we kind of zoom out a little bit and, and look at this 
passage as a whole, I want to I want to give us some warnings. The church in, in Jerusalem, in a lot of ways, seems like the church in the United States. A person who who grows up in church, like so many of us, going to church every week, and and um, and knowing the Bible so well, a lot of times we we can have a tendency to, to think that, that our way is God's way, that our opinions and, and God's opinions match up perfectly. The church in Jerusalem, they, um, you know, this is 20, 30 years after, after Pentecost. So there are people that have, have been in this for so long and, and they can have this tendency to, to value things that aren't the kingdom. Verse 20, it says that the Jews are zealous for the law. They said, we, how many thousands of Jews there are here who have believed and they're zealous for the law? That, that terminology is, is political language. They're zealous for the law, zealous for, for Israel. You might remember one of Jesus' disciples is referred to as, as Simon the Zealot. So he's passionate about overthrowing Rome, about getting Israel back. I kind of want to take Israel back to the good old days. You might see them in, in mega hats, right? Make, make Israel great again. They're passionate about, about their way of life, about their politics, about, about living for their values. It's not inherently bad to, to care about politics, but we do need to be careful that it may turn our hearts into, into rocky soil. It may be the thing that, that chokes out the, the life from our, from our vines. So we want to take a step back and, and make sure that politics doesn't change our faith, doesn't change our ethics. You know, if we're more Democrat than Christian, we might veer into shifting our perspectives on abortion. We might value the, the choice of, of the woman more, more than we value the, the person created in the image of God that's in her womb. We might change on, on sexual ethics thinking that, that happiness is, is more important than how God calls us to. If we're more Republican than Christian, we might consider the, the freedom of, of the gun owner more than we care about the image of God and the person that that gun might be used to kill. We might care less about the poor or, or immigrants or refugees. On either side, if you're more political than Christian, you can let truth and, and kindness slide for the sake of winning elections or winning arguments. just want to remind us that, that we don't build the kingdom using these worldly means. The kingdom's not going to grow more or less because one person wins an election. God's in control. Is it a good thing that, that we live in this country and, and can worship freely and and that we have people that agree with us on, on value systems in so many different ways. We have so many things in common that line up with the scriptures. Those are good things. But it's a responsibility that, that should be stewarded, should be cared for well. I want to encourage us to, to have a kingdom mindset because it changes us so much, it changes our values. Instead of zeal for political power for, for our own opinions instead of that passion driving us. 
we thank God for those opportunities and we focus on the kingdom. Instead of fighting for our own preferences and our own opinions and only hanging out with people that have our same hobbies, we're willing to lay those down for the sake of building bridges and and building relationships. Instead of being afraid of of suffering and, and wanting comfort, wanting our own safety, worrying so much about that, we worry about the eternal safety of of those billions of people that don't know Jesus. We have the opportunity to, to follow the Lord wherever he leads, to put our yes on the table and say, God, wherever you would have me to go, I'll go. Whatever you would have me to do, I'll do. Whether we face suffering, whether we have to lay down our opinions, our preferences, our choices, we know that, that Jesus had that opportunity to, to turn back in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was suffering, he was in anguish. He was sweating drops of blood. He never turned back. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Because we follow that Savior, that changes everything. Let's pray.